we thank you. Blessed be your name forever. Father, we give you praise. For everyone that is here, we thank you. For those who are streaming online, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because your word will come forth with power. And your word will do that that you have sent it to do today. The 1st of December, 2020. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. The Lord is good. If you believe you, give me an amen. Amen. Can we quickly take our declarations so we can take our seats? And then we'll continue to exhort ourselves as this year comes to an end. Are we ready? Are we ready? Yes, sir. All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Once again, the word of God is coming strong into your heart today. In Jesus' name. Amen. And as it is coming, it is bringing the spirit with it. Amen. The spirit of life. Amen. The spirit of healing. Amen. The spirit of direction. Amen. The spirit that wipes out depression and confusion. Amen. Receive it again today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. Okay. Now let's, um, there's this exhortation spirit that's been upon me for some time. So let's continue to do that today. I want to um, explain something concerning the love of God. Not, not love that emanates from God now, but for example, you say a man loves his wife, the love of a man for his wife. Now we're talking about the love of the children of God for God. That's what I want to talk about today. So quickly, let's open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. We're going to start from chapter 10, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. Now, Moses, as you know, was recounting things that had happened and charging the people of Israel concerning what and how they should live afterwards. So that's why you find a lot of stories repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. And as he was speaking, he's, of course, just narrating things that had happened. He told them in verse 10, I, moreover, stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights like the first time. And the Lord listened to me that time also. And the Lord was not willing to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, proceed on your journey ahead of the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, what he was saying is that God had taken care of them. If you go backwards to like chapter 8 thereabout, you hear things like, he made you hungry, and then he fed you with manna, so that you will understand what life is about, so that you'll understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is how man lives. Please let me just quickly, for a moment, fall for that temptation, to explain that one again, and I'll get back to what I was saying. Please, let's not think that he was saying, when is a man that shall not live by bread alone, but by every word? There are a number of scriptures, two of them I have in mind now, that the English sounds very odd. 
we take it because it's scripture. We don't realize that English is a bit odd. So sometimes when I see things like that, I try to get the real meaning. For example, we say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. The English is not, it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't really have a proper English meaning if you look at it. Another example, believe you receive and you shall have. Believe you receive is very bad English. But we just take it as if, you know, <laughs> all right, it's Bible. But, but unfortunately, in that process, we interpret it wrongly. So people say that believe you have received. No, after reading it and studying it, I realized what Jesus was saying is that believe that you are receiving, that is, it is working. That life is working already, even if you have not yet seen the thing physically. Because sometimes people now go around and say that I have received a car. Meanwhile, they don't have one, you know, because they prayed about it. You understand? But what he's really saying is that just know that God has heard you and that he is working in your life. He's working that principle. You understand? He's working out the results. Bear that in mind. So in the same manner, like I said, I'm just falling for a temptation to really clarify something. When he said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God shall man live or does man live. What he was saying is this. It is not only... Now, he wasn't saying... This is what we normally look at. He wasn't saying that when you have bread, you need to add the word to it. So man shall not live by bread alone. So you should have butter with it. You should have milk with it. But we now say that you should have what? The word of God with it. No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying that to acquire life, to survive, to be sustained, to multiply, to increase in life. That's what they call life. Do you understand? To continue to breathe. Why do you drink water to replenish your, you know, your system? Do you follow? Why do you eat to replenish your energy? He said, that is what bread does. He said, don't think that God created you so that that is the only thing that can sustain you. He said, the word of God can sustain you even if you don't have bread. And you will see in your Bible, for 80 days, Moses did not eat, Moses did not drink water, and he was sustained. Because it was not only by bread alone that a man will live. Do you get my point? It's not only by bread. So that's what he was trying to emphasize. So he made you hungry, then he fed you with manna. He was trying to show you that in the midst of your hunger, you did not die. So he said, manna, food, must not be the primary thing in your life. Don't think if I don't have a job, I'm going to die. Like we're talking about power to create wealth. That you must understand that we must look at the divine purpose first and not be looking at, if I do this, will this one produce for me? Everything you want to do, say, how will they make money for me? Say, man does not live by bread alone. That's what he was saying. If God spoke a word, he said, by, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The reason why you exist is because God spoke a word. It's called the logos of God. That is a thought, the plan, the purposes of God was spoken and then you appeared. You are a fulfillment. You are a physical manifestation of divine purpose or divine plan. So you should focus on that first. Before you start saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? With what shall I close myself? Do you understand the principle? Like I said, I just fell for that temptation to clarify that. That's not part of our message at all. I hope he blesses somebody. The Lord is good. So Moses was recounting those things to them. Let's get back to our message now. And he was saying to them, God took care of you. He made you hungry, then he fed you with manna, so that you will understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God does a man live. So they kept, he kept on narrating things. Now, back to where we began from. So in that verse, in that chapter 10, he now says something here. It, it, it said many things to them, recounted many, many things. He said, listen, God is making you take a land. It is not for your, the uprightness of your heart. It is not for your righteousness that you are going to possess the land. Don't think you deserve the land by yourself. 
He said, but he's removing wicked people and giving you the land free of charge so as to confirm what God promised to your fathers. He described all of those things. Now go to that chapter 10. Now let's not get down to it. Have we read it? No, we haven't. Uh All right, we have not read it. So he now said, verse 10, verse 12, yeah. Now Israel, that is with all of this in your mind, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commands and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Now, please notice this. In everything that God has been doing for you, what does he require of you? What does he want from everything? He has labored in quotes. Can I use that expression for you? He has blessed you. He has given to you. He has taken care of you. He has taken you through difficult times and brought you out of them. He has demonstrated his love and care and compassion for you. He has given you things that you do not deserve. He has spared you from from the punishment that you indeed you deserved. He said, what is he asking for? What is he asking for? I've heard people say things like, God has done so much for you. You must do this for him also. I understand the thought. But Moses answered the question, what exactly is he asking for? He said, this is all he's asking for. Now He said, now Israel. What does the Lord your God require from you? He said, all he's asking for is that you should fear him, walk in his ways, and love him. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And for you to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Again, this is for your own good. What is it? What is God is just asking you to cooperate with him for your own good. My emphasis here today is that he said you should love him. He said you should love him. And this God, he is worthy to be loved. He said, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. He said, as great as he is, yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. He says, as a result, what should you do? Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He has accused justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. He now told them other things to do. I just want to stop reading here. Now, what I'm going to bring out here is this. What is God asking for? What's been on my heart, actually, this has been in my mind for like since yesterday. I had a discussion with some people again today, and the thought, thought has just stayed in my heart, and I felt that, okay, that's the exhortation the Lord wants us to have uh, this evening. What does it mean, or this is what He wants, for us to love God? And what's been in my mind is that there are two categories of people using this particular parameter now to divide them. There are those who love God, I'm talking about amongst Christians or supposedly amongst religious people. There are those who love God, and there are those who 
try to use God. Now, again, I do not intend to be controversial or to be one who is um, criticizing people. What I just want to explain is that what I want to point out is the obvious fact. Most times we hear people preach, at least the ones we hear loud everywhere on TV, you know, they are teaching Christians to use God. And it's an unfortunate um, teaching. It's an unfortunate way of doing ministry. To be encouraging selfishness, to be encouraging carnality, to be encouraging people to just take advantage, in quotes now, of divine principles for the results they bring. It's very bad preaching, and we must never follow it. Even though I know I will sound like a broken record, like they say, saying the same thing again and again, but I will continue to say say it. The fact is that, of course, the number one way that thing manifests is when it comes to the area of giving money or giving, you know, material things. We so focus on what do you bring for me. There are people, all they are looking for is, in fact, I remember those days when I started hearing that thing. And I kept on saying that, but this, this doesn't sound nice. Now, the way you hear me talk now, don't think I started it yesterday after I got angry or something. Yeah, that's true. I've said this thing for over 30 years. I mean that literally. I mean that literally. I remember the first, one of the first messages I preached in my life, if not the very first, in a kind of congregation, all right, was in the birthday party of one of our sisters on campus. That was in 1989, 90, thereabout. I think it's 89, but let's just say 90. That makes it how many years ago? 30, 31 years, yeah. I remember. And she, she and her friend just came to me and said, ah, whether that's her birthday, I'm, I'm, I'm going to attend. I said, yes, so will I agree to preach? I said, oh, that would be nice. That was the first time I remember, you know, being in front of people. It was not church, it was in a room, when a hostel, you know, students' hostels. So we went to one of the female hostels and we all gathered. We used to do things like that a lot on campus. So it was time to preach. I was the one that was called to preach. And I remember very well that the message I went there with is what I'm still preaching to today. And I asked, what is the secret to receiving? And people put up their hands and said, it is giving. And I said to them, no, the Bible never says so. I preached that thing 30 years ago, 30, 31 years ago. I said, the Bible says the secret to receiving is asking. That James said, you have not because you do not ask. That Jesus said, ask and you shall receive and your joy will be full. I preached this thing over 30 years ago. So don't think it's just today. I just got angry. Maybe after I've given, 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 I got disappointed. I'm now revolting. And some people, that's how they preach. You now think you're in their group. They think you're on their side. Angry people. There's some people they call heresy hunters. They're hunters. To me, they are jobless Christians. I think their hearts are not pure. They're always looking for what to criticize and to analyze and to dissect until they threw away the baby with the bath water. I'm not like that. I was like, God helping me, I try not to, uh, not to be like that. Remember that once he heard me speak, he came and said, ah, Pastor, there's this man you must read. You should read him, read him. Ah, I like to learn. So he gave me the, person, the guy's website. I went there. The moment I got to his website, I saw him next time. I said, please, do not associate with such people and don't associate me with them. Just because two of us disagree on the same thing does not mean we are thinking of the same thing. I hope you are getting my point. For example, if you, Tunde Bakari and Fela Adikula Kokuti, there's a difference. I hope you're getting my point. There's a huge difference. Just because you heard one of them say government shouldn't do this, the other one said abuse government, doesn't mean they go to the same church. 
I hope you are getting my point. Yeah, because that's what people do. When you just see, see maybe you hear Tunde Bakari telling hmm, government is not doing it. You say, ah, oh God, you should listen to Vela. <laughs> <laughs> what didn't concern light with darkness? Do you get my point? Light and darkness, they don't flow together. One of them denies God, denies Christ Jesus, denies everything about Christianity and says he's a chief priest of the gods. And they used to literally worship idols. And he had a priest in his shrine. And that one said they used to smoke Igbo as incense unto the gods. And that the man died when he went into an agreement with um, Musa Bami, who was in charge of NDLA, to stop selling Igbo in the shrine. And that that was their incense to the gods. So when they stopped offering incense to the gods, the man's health deteriorated. Whether he was telling the truth or was high on Igbo when he was saying it, I don't know. But that's what he said. So don't associate <laughs> the two of them. They are not the same. You may just say both of them seem to be occasionally speaking against the establishment or against the government. One is a prophet, one is high on something. You get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So that's what happened. So that day, that brother told me, I said, please, don't associate with those people and don't associate me with them. People just go around looking for how to shoot everything down. No. God helping me, I'm not like that. I try not to be. But I say these things I say because I studied my scripture, like I was telling my wife a few days ago, that when you understand concepts about life, that's how I learn. I have never been one to memorize. I have never been good with it. I have never been good with it. I've never been good. What I have always been good with, God bless me with that, is that if you say something, I try to understand the principle behind it. I remember when we were in school, one of the textbooks we used, I used what some people consider the most difficult one we had. But I thought it was very simple. They had a simpler one, but that one just gave you the following at this one, two, three, four, five. So they memorized the five. The other one I had will tell the story. This one began and it went here and it went there. In the process, this happened. Then you learn the same five, but you don't have to memorize. I found that one easier. It was more verbose. It had more words, but I found it easier. So I learned the scriptures like that. So when people began to say some things, it did not make sense to me. I learned about the grace of Christ early. When they told me I needed to give God something for him to bless me, but it didn't make any sense. It did not make any sense. You taught me about the grace of Jesus Christ. I remember the first thing they told me that if you don't tithe, you can't prosper. I said it made no sense. I argued with everybody. And I wasn't, I wasn't versed in scriptures. No, it, it just did not fit the fundamental thing that had been taught by the same people. I said, but that's not what you taught us about grace. He did not teach us this. I said, look, the grace of Christ does not allow this thing fit, which is why you did not find any time, at one point in time, did any one of the New Testament believers, uh, apostles, teach that to the church as a practice. And then we find a scripture to twist that. No, they never did. Somebody told me once that the Bible said, Paul said, on the first day of the meet, when you meet, when you meet, as you have prospered, he said, that shows proportionality. I said, so, does that put 10% inside? I said they were teaching grace. And like I've said to us before, there is a spirit behind every law. So Paul said, walk by that spirit. That was my own issue. So when they brought one of those things, say, give and then you will get. I said it didn't make sense. So quickly, I dropped it. A few times, oh, by the way, let me just drop this one in. A few times they pressured me. Into say, in fact, I remember that they said, he said, prove me now. Prove me now. Just dare to prove God. I said, okay, if that's what you, I mean, well, that's what they are saying, let us prove him now. 
was a banker. I will make sure you don't do this again. So they sent me money from home. It happened twice, two different things. One was in the principle of seed. Say, if you sow this, you will reap. So I said, no problem. You would like, we should do that. You know, that's where God does me. You just plant, you want to sow seed. He left the opportunity. Open. I sowed the seed. Let's leave it like that. Because God stood solidly. Just wanted to make a point to me. Bank, don't do this again. I've not done this since that time. That was 1990. I've not done this since that time. Second time, they said, prove me now. Prove me now. I said, okay. After all the arguments, they say, prove me now. All right. My father sent money. I caught 10% of it. Gave it to them. And then he unleashed the devourer on me. So I went and told the brother. I said, you said, prove me now. I said, see what happened. The devourer came out. I showed it to him. That was the day of the seed, of the tithe. This was the day the devourer came. He said, no, it is a seed. It takes time to grow. I just threw away the doctrine. When you were preaching, you did not know it was a seed. Now I have come to tell you that you said, prove him now. Forget it. I didn't find, you know, my, my, my doctrine is not founded upon that experience. The experience only came because we're having an argument. I said, this does not tie with the scriptures. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in that he was rich, but for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. That is the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's what I understood. Please, I just keep saying it. People understand. And I'm convinced about what I'm saying. Heaven is tired of that practice. Heaven is tired of it. It gives God a bad name. It does not reflect the true Christ Jesus whom we serve. It encourages people to be God users. One major major issue about those who use God, they're always looking for principles for their own end. Yes. Principles. How do I do this to get what I have determined? Listen, no matter how righteous you think your methods are, if your purpose, your goal is wrong, your methods are wrong. I don't know whether you get my point. Because the problem we have a lot of times as Christians is that we have entrenched carnality into everything we do. The sign of progress for us and success is material. Who is doing well in ministry is the person that has a new title. Who has been promoted. The church is now big. That church started, they were 10, 20. Now they are 200. They are now 2,000. So this man is doing well in ministry. That's the way we taught ourselves. Is your principle working? Show me the results. What do you mean the result? Have you built a house? We now acquire titles sometimes, like worldly people. You go from pastor to bishop to archbishop, just, you know, just for the sake of, of, um, societal clout. And there are many places, <laughs> there are places you get to in the world, they, they give you a seat according to your title. Because what's your name? You say, I'm brother so so and so and so, sit at the back. Come and say, I'm pastor this, you can sit in the middle. If you say, I'm bishop, you sit in front. You now have archbishop, papa, you know, prelate, first row. And they give you that kind of respect. So sometimes we want it. We pursue it. Now, unfortunately, it's nothing but carnality. It's nothing but worldliness. But many times we want to pursue it. We we think we are pursuing those things with righteous methods. For example, we want to lay up treasure on the earth. So when we want to lay up treasure on the earth, we don't steal. We don't lie. We don't cheat. What do you do? We sow seeds. And we labor hard and we prophesy on money. Money, money, come. I speak, speak to the north. Tell him money, come. Money, come. Mikala, pala, pala, polo, polo. Money, come. Because you are speaking in tongues, because you are prophesying, you feel righteous, but you forget something. 
you are still focused on money. You think that because that's the mistake we make. We think that because we use righteous methods, it means that our goal is right. No, we start with the goal before we start talking about the methods. I hope you're getting my point. We cannot use righteous methods to achieve carnal goals. The whole thing is still wrong. Do you follow my point? You know, if God's, if you are doing something that the Lord did not send you to do, let's just put that simply like that. No matter how well you do it, it's still wrong. Like Bishop used to say those days, what's the use of speed when you're on the wrong road? Do you follow my point? If the road is wrong, forget whether you are slow or fast. You will never arrive to any, at any place good. If I'm supposed to go to Lagos and I face Port Harcourt, whether I'm going at five kilometers an hour or a hundred kilometers an hour, I will never get to Lagos. So we must be careful. The mistake that's developed is that we developed ourselves, especially through our teachings or because of our teachings, into people that are using divine principles, using the power of God to achieve our worldly aim. Let me give you an example, very, very common. You see the way we go around killing enemies with our prayers. Where did the Bible ever say you should kill enemies? Now, let me just say something to you. It works. We've not been telling people. If you shout, die, die, die for a long time, people will die. One of the reasons why they die is because what keeps many people alive, all of us actually, is one form of intercession or the other. Did you hear what I said? Why do you think the Bible says that Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for the saints? If it was not necessary, why is he doing it? And when you are a co-laborer with him, one of the things you do is to also to intercede for people. So sometimes in life, when you, when nobody, <laughs> there are people that few people are interceding for, very few. And sometimes nobody, you know, there are people that nobody's praying for. God has to specially raise, nobody loves them. And one of the reasons that they are wicked, I'm not talking about they are alone, I mean wickedness. Everybody they have dealt with, that the business, they've, they've left a bad taste. So those who are not cursing, you want to forget you. There are those that you go and offend the wicked soul. Your, your name is in their church. Every day they are praying, die, die, die. But there are some people, you person you offended is a good Christian. He doesn't have your time. So you know what he does? As a sign of godliness, he forgets you. He forgives you and does what? Forgets both what you did and you. No prayer going towards you from his angle. There are people like that. Everybody they have met in this life, they have removed something from the person. And listen, there's what the Bible calls effectual, fervent, Amplify says what? Heartfelt, continued. What I'm going to say is that no matter how much I want to discipline myself to pray for you, if every time I think of you and how bad I think, it's too much discipline. So after a while, I could just forget it now. So even though I'm saying, in Jesus' name, bless him, it's not from the heart. It's not from the heart. I'm looking at you, say, in my heart, I'm saying short one. What do you call short one? Ah, where has this guy been? He doesn't know short one. See, Reverend Israel is shocked that you don't know short one. All these boys bundering Nintendo games. You didn't, you didn't play backyard soccer. Four four here. With rubber ball you made from burnt rubber. Burnt nylon. You didn't do that one. Only one guy had football in the neighborhood. The children these days, I don't know, they should ban PSD and then some of those games. 
Short one is, you have four here, you have four here, but one guy there is as if he's not there, he's pulling the ball. <laughs> so you whisper to yourself, these guys are playing short one. You guys are complete too. You can count, there are five, there are five. But you know really, they are playing five against four. So all the other guys are avoiding passing to that guy because he go, <laughs> if you, if you give the guy a goal post like this, and the keeper has fallen down, <laughs> for where, does he go by his own head? <laughs> we used to call them shots when we were young. <laughs> that is, they are there consuming the post. That is like the position. There's supposed to be five. It's one of your, but then you know that God. Why did he come to the field today? There are people like that. In this life, they are like that. Short one. Hard to pray for them. Very hard. Normally, God leaves just one person to pray for such people. Their mother. And then one prophet, when he wants to kill him, he now says that your mother is a witch. That guy will die fast. Once they tell you your mother is a witch, just know the, the date of your death is, is close. Most times, those mothers are not witches. They are the only ones praying for short one people. For short one, the boss does not like him. His friends don't like him. Neighbors don't like him. When they say this building, we all live in a block of six flats. Each person pays two thousand so that we can fix this water problem. Now you know go pay. He's the one that will not pay. When you ask him why, he says it's government's job. He said, no, this is not government job. This is our private property. He said, the one we paid last year, where is the receipt for the expenditure? When it's starts drilling you, you start wanting to pay on 2,000 naira, bros. Now, after I were you the chairman of the neighborhood committee, that's if, the block of last committee, you, you find yourself too big to be arguing over one guy for 2,000 naira. So you pay. The neighbors don't know you did not pay. So they say, hey, how much do we collect? Say, okay, there are six flats. It's 12,000. Okay, it's complete. Let's do the work. They do the work. And he will, he will chop the, that he will enjoy it. The first the water starts flowing, you'll be the first to fetch. You won't even come and say, who paid my own portion? Short one. Such a one is time to pray. No, nobody, anybody that knows him will not pray for him. They are praying, Father God, remove him from this block of flats. And I say, all my enemies, you won't know your body faces his flat. <laughs> I tell Christians, just by the way, please, try your best to be a blessing. So somebody will pray for you, apart from your mother. It can't be only your mother that will be thinking well of you. It's not good. Hmm? That kind of compound, at least... Let it be that the day you pack out, they will remember that, ah, when this man was here, this would never have happened. Can't be, especially when you're a believer. Eh? Don't go, like we talked about it on one of our Saturday meetings. Don't give the Lord a bad name. One of the most annoying things are people that are always praying in their flat. But pay the money to repair that pipe, he will not pay. Pack your car properly so that other people will not suffer. He won't pack properly. Then at midnight, what a mighty God. He will wake everybody up with his prayers so that nobody can sleep again. The neighbors are just looking at him like this. They say, if these are Christians, I'm going to the mosque. Christians, please stop disgracing this faith. If you don't want to be a Christian, just leave it. Don't go to church. There are, there are many great message centers around you. Join one of them. But when you want to come to church, please be a Christ Jesus in your block of flats for goodness sake. They're the one that will pack load in the staircase where everybody is using. Your flat is not big enough for you. Your load must come to the staircase. They are tired of you. 
The Lord is good. <laughs> I'm sure some of us are repenting right now. That's what I mean. So sometimes, all right, what's keeping people alive? That's what I'm going to, I'm going to explain. Is intercession. All of us need it. People pray for you. You know, there's something I say to you all the time. It is important your name is mentioned in what? Thanksgiving. That people are just thankful for your life. That you are alive. You are blessing somebody. It's important. Somebody wants to thank God. Father God, I thank you for your supply this morning. I want to thank you for that brother you used, that sister you used. You know, things like that. It's a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. That your name is added to Thanksgiving. The Lord is good. It's important we, we, we realize that, okay? So, now how did I get into that? So, like I was saying, what we, what the mistake we now make in our doctrine, let me just go back, I'll try and connect what I was saying. The mistake we make is the one in which we think that we just take divine principles, you understand, try to get our own ends met in life. That is what we have been preaching a lot of times, and I just use that giving thing as an example. But that is not what God wants from us, his children. What he wants, which is what we read here from that Deuteronomy chapter 10. He said what he wants is for us to fear the Lord our God, to walk in his ways and love him. To walk in his ways and love him. To serve the Lord your God or our God, I'm just you know, changing the pronouns there, with all our hearts and with all our souls. That's what God wants from us. He is big. He said, to, he said, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. They all belong to the Lord. He said, But this God, what does he want? For you to love him. It's interesting that God actually wants people to love him. But what we end up doing a lot of times, and that's my preaching for today, that we must stop it, is trying to use God. And how do we use God? We set our own goals. We set our own aims. And then we look for divine principles and divine precepts to meet them. It's called using God. Listen, there's no blessing in it. No matter how righteous your methods are, there is no blessing in it. What is the blessing? The blessing is, let's quickly read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now let me just start, start from, I'm looking for where to break I know where verse we are going to. We're going to verse 9. Just looking for where to take it in context from verse 6. He said, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those he loves. Did you see that? He prepares for those what? Those he loves? Uh-huh, thank you very much. <laughs> I did that deliberately. I want to be sure you are following me. He prepared them for who? Those who love him. Not those he loves. The great things of life that God prepared are for those who love him. Not for those he loves. Yes, he has blessings because he's a God of love. So he calls everybody. But he has prepared specially some things for those who love him. 
Unfortunately, because we don't understand spiritual things, we turn ourselves to those who use him. And that is why we keep struggling for those blessings. That's the cause of our struggles for those blessings. Because we turn ourselves to those who use. Do you know how you know those who use? I said it earlier. They set their own goals and God has to fall in line. They give God their dates. He has to fall in line. They compel their desires upon him and he has to provide them. That's how you know those who are trying to use God. And like I said at the beginning, you know, when I preach, I try to drop a word for preachers. Preachers, please do not cultivate that culture in believers. That is why you heard me teach about giving again and again. There's a blessing in giving. I deliberately refuse to emphasize it. I do that deliberately. My refusal to emphasize it does not take any bit of the blessing away from you. It doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, when you emphasize that blessing, and people start focusing their eyes on the blessing, it reduces their ability to receive. That's the problem. It reduces their ability to receive that blessing they are looking for. When God wants to bless people, most of the times, they were not walking towards that blessing. If you want a blessing from God, ask for it. Don't walk towards it. When you walk towards it, you insult him. I hope you're getting my point. What do you do? Ask. Nothing wrong with having desires. Please, we're not saying that it is wrong to have desires. Nobody ever said so. But with God, you know, you just go openly, plainly, and go to him. Dear Lord, from the word we understand that you, prom- you, you provide this for your children. I need this. I would like you to have, give me this. Sometimes it does not even have to be a need. You know, they call need. If I don't get this money, I will die. Sometimes you will not die. It's not even crucial. But you say, ask the Lord for it. You say, ah, I like that ice cream. You know, it doesn't add anything to your survival, really. And God will buy it and give it to you. Yes, he does that. But one thing you must never, ever try to do is be manipulative of him. That the greatest praise, when I say praying, I mean prayers in P-R-E-Y-S, you know. So the people pray on them a lot. You want a particular miracle, you will do something strong for God. You are a God user. You are not a God lover. Whatever you are doing is because of the miracle you are looking for. You are being confused, you are deceived. I know I've said it many times, but I want to just emphasize it to us again today. We must learn to be God lovers. The people that he really blesses are those that love him. Those that love God, I'll tell you. Okay, let me just give us an example. One of the best examples I, I find in life is that of love, the love of parents for their children. I've seen crazy parents, all right? I've seen. There are crazy, you know? Look, anything good God does, look around, you see one bad one that Satan has corrupted. So I'm not talking about corrupted parents. They exist. I'm talking about normal parents. They don't even have to be Christians. Just normal parents who are still living within the normalcy of parenthood. When they are doing things for their children, they never think about what they will get for it. They just see those things as responsibilities. And they derive their joy from, you know, from the results. For example, the child has been sick for four days. Okay, one month. And they have spent money. You know their greatest joy? Recovery. The day they are discharged from, from hospital, the little girl has refused to eat. And I says, Mommy, I'm hungry. And they give her the food and she gazoles it, like we say. Can I have some more? You know, the way they will bring it, like, ah, eat more, eat more. 
The child will eat and fall asleep. They will stand up, stand there and be staring. Lord, thank you. What has that child done for them? Nothing. Real love is shown in deriving satisfaction from somebody else's pleasure. That's real love. You derive satisfaction from the pleasure of another person. That's real love. That is real love. Somebody else's pleasure gives you satisfaction. The opposite, you know, hatred, jealousy. It's when somebody else's pleasure stirs up desire in you for your own. Just know you don't love the person. That's jealousy. (laughs) When somebody's blessing just makes you happy, then you actually love that person. It is not how you feel, like, oh, I just feel like hugging him, I just feel like hugging her. That's not the point. The fellow is far away. And many times, like, if you are the one that God uses, used to produce that, you know, that blessing, you don't even have to go and tell, say, I was the one. You, you're not even interested. You're not interested. She's fine now, yes, we thank God. And it makes you happy. The fellow's dissatisfaction gives you distress. That is love. You know, once I heard, you know, somebody was teaching, pointed that scripture out to us, where I was, where, where I was when he was teaching, and I never forgot it. One man that loved God in the Bible was Samuel. Oh, he loved God. You know how I know? God came to him and said, I'm feeling bad. Ah, he said, Lord, why are you feeling bad? He said, I regret that I made Saul king and Samuel did not sleep. That is, who is it that has disturbed my God? And Samuel could not sleep. Why? Because God came to him. They were friends. Samuel, wake up. What happened? I'm feeling very bad. Ah, Lord, why are you feeling bad? I made Saul king. Eh? That's it. If it was modern day, he would have moved that night. But because it was that their time, traveling that night was not exactly easy. The man could not sleep. He disturbed himself the whole night. Early morning, he was down at Saul's place. What have you done to my loved God? Do you get my point? The lost dissatisfaction disturbed his soul. He was unhappy. He could not sleep. He took his pleasure from the Lord's satisfaction. That's the point I'm making. What has happened to us a lot as Christians, we take our pleasure from answered prayers. Testimonies all the time, well, depending on the kind of church, but most times, it is what I got. It is what I got. People hardly get up to testify. You know, the church, in the early church, they actually testified that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, a particular word Jesus gave was fulfilled in their lives. They were very happy. You know why? They flogged them. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ because Jesus had told them, hmm, if they hate me, they will hate you. If you truly are my own, as they are hating me, they will hate you. So one day they flogged them. Peter said, John, did you notice what just happened? We are really his own. Did you notice that? John said, yes! We have been flogged for the Lord. It didn't cross their mind that this city, they don't appreciate ministers. That was not, that was not their thought. Their thought was that, ah, we have been counted worthy to suffer for his sake. God of miracle. Now my papa, oh, the guys were happy. They were rejoicing. You know, one of the things we were taught those days is that as a child of a king, nobody can lay hands on you. 
Did you ever learn that? I think those guys didn't understand some of our revelations. Something is wrong with our revelations, actually, not them. Because the Lord Jesus taught them directly. So when they suffered, they were suffering. Peter wrote them. He said, you, you are suffering now? Just endure it. He said, there's only one thing. Make sure you are not suffering as a wrongdoer. Make sure your suffering is unjust. If they fired you for your stance on righteousness, good. Peter didn't say, I'll pray for you to get, get the job back. He said, just make sure they did not fire you, that you stole money from that office. Make sure you were not fired because of inefficiency. Make sure you were not fired because of you no know, disloyalty to the organization. Make sure you were fired because of righteousness. He said, let's change the figure. You are not allowing them to chop money. You know, that's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was not allowing things to move. That's why they conspired against him. Peter said, if that's the case, then rejoice. I'm going to emphasize the concept of being lovers of God. Those who love God, they derive their satisfaction from making the Lord happy. Because like we said the other time, God can be happy. He can be sad. He can make him feel bad. That's a matter of fact. He can come to his someone and say, we chose Saul as king. I mean, I feel bad about it. And he's really feeling bad. You can obey him so much, you will jump up. By myself, I have sworn. In blessing, I will bless you. I will make your name great. That's what happened with Abraham. Because of the trust that Abraham had for the word he had given to Abraham. The word that said, in Isaac will your seed be. So Abraham, despite the fact that he had that word, he said, I will not fulfill this word by my own strength. If he said, kill Isaac, he must have had a plan of resurrection. So he killed Isaac. I hope you're getting my point here. I'm talking about lovers of God. They are the ones actually that he blesses. They are the ones that he has prepared blessings for. I have noticed something. True believers in Christ Jesus cannot focus on blessings. They can't. It doesn't work. If you give and you are waiting for when you receive, you are not a giver. You are a user. Did you hear what I said? You are a user. If you do works of righteousness and you are waiting for when you to pay off, you are not a giver. You are not a lover of God. You are a user. Because the satisfaction that a true child of God, a lover of God gets, is in just knowing that God was happy with that. I hope you're getting my point. Let's come back to the issue of money. If I give an offering, if I look and say, was that what I was supposed to give? Is that my capacity? Is the Lord happy with that? And my wife and I will look and say, yes. That's the end of it. That's the close of it. We are not allowed to recall it to mind. Some of these things, for those who listen to me regularly, I don't have to say them, but some people still need to be reminded. It is absolute evil for you to go to God and remind him of your good works when you want to pray for anything. It's absolutely evil. You are not even... See, the fact that you forgot it, it's as if God, don't forget me. You remember that I was the one that did something for you. know, I've ever met people like that. I know people that anytime they are doing something good, they have calculated. They have calculated. They have, that is, maybe you are doing a ceremony and they want to give you an offering. They've checked. If I don't give him, will he be angry with me? Can he block my appointment tomorrow? There are people like that. They are very, if they are your friends, you don't have a friend. What did I say? You don't have a friend. You don't have. You don't have. When we do right, Jesus said, 
He was telling, telling them what will happen on the last day. He said, he will come and say to them, enter into the joy of thy Lord. Why? Because I was hungry, you fed me. I was in hospital, <laughs> you visited me. He said, prison. Okay? I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, they will not ask, when did we see you? That thing for me is so instructive. They had to ask, when was it? What does that tell you? They didn't have it in mind. They did not even know he was the one they did it for. And like one man of God I heard many years ago, came to our church to teach. He said, those who do things that count, don't stop to count them. Did you hear what I said? He said, those who do things that really count, don't stop to count them. Those who have the time to be counting what they have done, they are not doing things that count. And even though they thought those things really counted, in heaven, they don't count. So just as a reminder, those days people will say, and you are going to pray, Mama was there when he was preaching. He said, no, the end of this is that he always gives. When a church is building, he makes sure he gives. Why? He said, when he wants to pray, he will say to the Lord, that church, my money is there. That particular church, my money is there. So he will count all the places where my, his money is when he wants to pray. And I looked at him, who, oh foolish Galatian, who has bewitched you that that will get results from the Lord? Listen to me, it only gets judgment from God. It only gets judgment from God. Let me explain something. We have passed the time of being blessed for because of our own works. Listen, we are blessed because of our faith. There's what is called the righteousness of God, which is by faith. That was what God you know, you'll be surprised if you, do not, if you did not know it before. That the suffering of Job, remember, was whose idea? Was it Satan's idea? Who brought up the issue of tempting Job? I used to wonder why. I thought it was just to prove the genuineness of his faith. That was not it. After a long time of studying and meditating and reading that particular book, I finally found out the reason why. God realized that this man is operating a righteousness which is by works. And being a lower form of righteousness, he needed to disappoint it and bring him up to another level. That's what I want us to understand. And that is a higher level. That's a higher level. As a matter of fact, that actually produces double blessings. And you see, that principle is there. Job lost everything. When, the Lord, when he understood the righteousness, which is by faith, the Lord helped him understand that now you can enter into the realm of double blessings. It wasn't just like God is doubling what he had before. That's part of it. But what the Lord was doing was to let him understand that the righteousness which is by faith, it produces better blessings, better results in life than the one that is by works. Unfortunately, the one that is by faith is only open to those who truly love God. That's it. What am I saying? I don't intend to speak long about it. What I'm going to explain to us is this. Listen, Christians must learn to do righteously or do righteousness, to walk righteously for the sake of righteousness. I believe it's the same thing. When the Bible says you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity, the love of righteousness is the same or at least is a direct product of the love of God because righteousness is what pleases God. So somebody who loves righteousness is the person who loves to please God. We are not learning principles. That's where I actually began from, or I intended to, 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 to explain. We are not learning principles of the word because of the results they beget. When we say the word works, we don't mean that the word 
produces material things for us. That's not what we mean. What we are saying is that the principles of life, they are based on the word. The word sustains all things. And by obeying the word, we produce pleasure from God, for God. When we say the word works, let's remove it because it's sometimes when we interpret things. We tend to interpret things, and it's natural. It's not you can do about it. It's only as you grow spiritually that you learn different interpretations of things. Like when Jesus said, whatever you are asking my name, you start asking for guru and start asking for, you know, groundnuts when you are a, a child. And the first time we learned that, of course, that was all we could ask for because we didn't know anything better than that. But when men develop spiritually, and God says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you, John Knox will kneel down and say, give me Scotland. <laughs> Did you hear that? Children will say, give me food. Give me clothing. Give me, you know, something, you know. Let me hammer, like we say. But spiritually developed people, they say, we can ask for anything. We can ask for anything. John Knox said, good. You will give me Scotland or I die. And what does it mean by giving me Scotland? It's not, I will not be the king of Scotland. What does it matter? To be an earthly king. What it meant is that there must be revival in Scotland. So now, if God asks you, now, what should I give to you? Ask me for anything. You start asking things that is our nation, Nigeria. Take this situation as an example. You start asking for things that show that you are, you are not a baby. You are alive to your responsibility. You understand that the environment, the society depends on the salt of the earth of which you are part of them. So what do you want me to do for you? Say, Lord, end killings that I hear about in Bono State. Not give me a new car. Give me a new house. Me too, I should be able to take my wife and children on holiday in Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Things that we have glorified. How many people will get on their knees and pray and say, Lord, end insecurity in Nigeria so we can go around preaching the gospel. Give me Scotland or I die. That's what John Knox said. It's not like, Lord, I need to pray and get, you know, I need to be a preacher not anywhere I go. Prophet's offering must be solid. The man said, give me Scotland or what? Or I die. That there must be revival in my land. Those, those are people who understand what we are talking about, the love of God. Not, nothing personal. I was saying, so we tend to interpret things you know, based on our maturity or immaturity. So if we hear things like um, the word works, People say, it's working. You've heard that before? It's a testimony. That day, ah, as I was needing this money, I just kept on the, and the word works. It's working. Somebody says it's working. Go and see most of the things that we are saying it is working about. It's still about me and my personal progress. And when we are children, of course, it sounded nice and we give testimonies about it. But as we get, as we grow older, we realize that no, that is not what the word works means. What does the word works mean? It means that if I operate by the principles of the word, the father is pleased. Do you get my point? Yes. This one pleases the father. He said we are, we are, we are created for his pleasure. And for that pleasure, we exist. That's what he was saying. So, without faith, it is in, impossible to do what? To please God. So, faith is not primarily for us to get our needs met. The primary purpose of faith is to please God. Did you hear that? The primary purpose of faith 
is to please God. And I'm preaching that Christians should understand deriving satisfaction from the pleasure of the Father. It's not whether it works for me that we are talking about. It is that does this please God or it does not please God. Go and read that Hebrews chapter 11 talking about that faith. Do you understand? You see many people, some got something by faith. They were delivered by faith. Some were killed by faith. It was not as if they did not offer them deliverance. But by faith, they rejected the deliverance. Why? He said there's a better resurrection. So the earthly deliverance that were being offered, they rejected it by faith. I think it's one of the greatest forms of disservice we have done to the scripture. We have done to the body of Christ. We have done to the cause of God on the earth. Is this self-centeredness about our service? Is it that is the preaching of self in the service of God is a great disservice that we preachers have done to God? It has retarded the advance of the gospel. We have taught people to be earthly minded. So people are serving God every day because they say it is the key to breakthrough. They are not serving God, they are using God to get their breakthrough. I've told this story many times. The young woman who came to me here in our former venue, finished teaching, and she told me the story of her life. I, you know, the Bible says that that rich young ruler, that when Jesus looked at him, what happened? He loved him. I looked at that girl that day, and I saw this love of Christ there. Eh? I just loved her, you know, like I felt like, ah! Now, wow. Now, a young woman, like they punished like this. She just finished NYC not too long before that. She says, sir, I suffered. What, what thing concerns suffering in this matter? That she gave, she used to give all the money she had. As soon as she collects her NYC monthly allowance, she will go to church and put it in the offering basket. Generosity is good. Somebody say, say that. It's good to be generous, though, really. David said, I have prepared with my, from my private treasuries. Everything that I have, I've got that for the building of the temple. So, so, so number of talents of gold, of silver, or for this. So it's good to be generous. I wish that was why this our dear sister was doing what she was doing. She said she would be so hungry that she lost weight. She would not be able to eat. I was looking. She said one day was her birthday. Somebody gave her 20,000 naira. And she felt very happy that this one, at least, I will manage it small, small and survive. Then she went to church. And the pastor said, except it pains you. And he said, this, this analgesic that they just gave me is removing my pain. So she took the money and threw it again in the offering basket. Generosity is good. Amen? amen. Trusting in God is good. Amen? amen? You should be able to give God Isaac. If you believe you should give God Isaac, somebody say amen. amen. I wish she was giving God Isaac the way of Abraham. Because I asked a small question. Why were you doing all of this? He said they told her that is how to prosper. That didn't please God one moment. She was not a God lover, she was a God user. Let me say to you, God did not receive her sacrifices. He did not. She was not giving to God. She was giving to prosperity. 
you must understand modern day. There are two things. First, modern day and former days. There's a way we worship idols in modern days, which is far removed from how we used to worship idols those former days. Former days, we actually literally used to carve idols and bow. Okay? Now, many people still do that, so they are still living in former times. Modern times, people worship, worship idols without having any physical shrine. They do that a lot. That's one. There's another group, Christians. There's another classification. There's a way Christian, Christians worship idols, which is different from how the world worships idols. Most times when Christians worship idols, they just take their eyes away slightly from the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that becomes the worship of idols. Idolatry with Christians is off, is rarely overt. Most Christians are literally worshiping idols. You really can't catch them. That's why, listen, enforcing the law of Christ is impossible for any human being. Oh, they're looking at them like this. It's hard for human beings. I mean, if I'm looking at a woman, how do you know whether it's lustfully or pitifully? <laughs> do you get my point? Or just simple admiration. I can be looking at a woman, oh, this hair is so nice. Anything wrong with that? Oh, beautiful dress she's wearing. Anything wrong with that? But look now, look. It is God that will not look at the heart. The word can, you know, descend between <laughs> spirit and soul. Look at the spirit. What kind of spirit? Idolatrous spirit. Sorry, adulterous spirit. Thanksgiving spirit. Normal admiration in a godly fashion spirit. Worldly spirit. It's only God that knows that too. But you looking at the surface. Look now. Look now, look. <laughs> what am I going to say? Do you know in church, there are a lot of people in church worshiping, clapping, singing, giving, walking. Only God knows what they are really worshiping. Based on what we have been preaching, I can assure you of something. A lot of us are worshiping idols. Oh, a lot. Some say we have been giving and pushing seed and walking. Breakthrough is closed. You are not worshiping God. You are worshiping breakthrough. That's an idol. Anybody doing righteousness because he or she is looking forward to the reward of righteousness on this earth is worshiping an idol. Is not worshiping the true God. Fact. What I've told you is the word of God. And it's very common. And like I said to preachers, we are responsible. The kind of testimonies we put up front, all right, we can use it to take the eyes of the people of God into a wrong direction. And you see, you know, that's why it's important we keep teaching the word of God. Because many times people who do this, they don't even know what they are doing is wrong. They think they want to encourage Christians. This brother gave, look at it now. I first knew when he came to this city. He used to trek. He hardly had money. We used to give him money to go to go home after church. But I remember his tithe never failed. He will keep on saying it. Then now, look at him. I, I was in his house last week to dedicate the new duplex he just built. Somebody say amen. His wife delivered last month, twins. Delivered the month before, triplets. All of this because of faithfulness in the house of God. Anytime we say come and sweep, is a bank manager is there sweeping. I've never understood the logic anyway. 
Personally, they say it's humility. Like, listen, you know me. My wife was telling me the other day that you know you're a very strange person. I say I know. The fact that you are sweeping in church does not mean you are humble. It may, it may simply mean you are an idolater. You worship the building. Don't worry my soul. Like they say, free me. I beg. Free me. You want me to see, you want me to see humility? Clear the gutter in front of your street. Enter the gutter, dig with the boys. I know you are humble. Most importantly, go to that banking hall. Sweep it. Mop your own office. Bros, if you can't do it, you are not humble. You are an idolater. As all the humble women that kneel down for pastor and call their husband Jim. You are not humble, though. You are an idol worshiper. Ah. <laughs> I will tell the truth. So that devil can increase in shame. It's true. It's true. Those who can give their last offering when it is church, but they can never use the last offering to help the neighbor. They are an idolater. Listen, I believe, listen, giving, you know, I keep on saying giving is good, right? But you know, I found a lot of Christian giving is pure idolatry. Pure idolatry. Like I always say, there are some people who are very wicked towards their pastors, in case you are listening to me. Don't, you know, like I said, Fela, Anikula Kokuti, Tunde, Bakari. They are not in the same category. And Fela said it himself. Me and you, no day for the same category. <laughs> so, he said it himself. Uh-huh. All these men, they are singing it. Even this man of God. I don't catch you. I don't catch you. <laughs> Did you say I caught you? I refuse to sing it. I have to be the senior man of God. I give you the words, but not the rhythm. Make it look like I've never sung for life in my life. A lot is good. So they are not in the same category at all. What I'm trying to say is this, all right? So there are some people who are very stingy to everybody. So when you speak like this, they say, hey, because we don't give in church, no, we don't love God. You don't love God. <laughs> Leave that side. But your pastors come to church every Sunday, sweating, sweating, praying for you. You they chop all alone. You go so choke. Weakest souls. You know there are weakest souls like that. You know, say, hey, when they say, I, say I, I, I like men of God that have something else they are doing. Wickedness. But why don't you like doctors that have something else they are doing? They treat you free of charge. Okay. It's the same thing. Yes. So I like my university lecturer. He doesn't take salary. He has a farm at the back of his house. <laughs> so you come to class, teach us, then go and farm yam. It's a good lecturer. That's how you know people don't have respect for the word of God. That's how you know. They, we don't realize it sometimes. After anybody, if you give me as an example, it shows you are wicked to me. You should be begging me, say, Pastor, please, I want you to be doing nothing but preaching this word. This is what I will do to ensure you do that. You say, see, I like some pastors, they have business they are doing, they have another job they are doing, they can't be depending on ministry. That is why the church will never prosper. If all your pastors can't depend on ministry, you are a doomed church. You, that is, they don't have enough mature believers who understand the word of God enough. You want a doctor that cannot depend on medicine to live? You, have a le- you want a lecturer that can never depend on teaching and research to survive? You want a pilot to fly your plane? That he has to be, as he's flying, he's calling, he's, he's stepping, have you delivered the cement? He's a Dangote distributor. 
When we get to heaven, eh, this is the kind of judgment you go to prepare for some people. Wicked souls. They're all over the place. So you are wicked, though. You that I'm talking to, you know yourself. Maybe you are streaming, you are watching us from London now. And your weakness, your weakness, your wickedness carry you go to that place. Come back home. Come and repent of your sins. The person who I'm talking to knows himself. The Lord is good. Nonsense. So I'm talking about people. You understand? I'm not di- discussing those people like that. You're not in the same category. I'm talking about some people, the way they are, they don't realize that generosity has to be all around for you to be effective. I hope you get my point. Sometimes, of course, let me quickly drop this. Everybody has a special calling. It's important. It's also there in the ministry of giving. There are some people, their primary calling is to be giving to the preaching of the gospel. There are people like that, okay? Okay, so we'll make allowance for that. Even then, those people, they will still be generous in other areas of life. If you are generous, generosity becomes your nature. I hope you get my point. That is all around. That's what I'm trying to say. But I'm going to bring out an issue here. A lot of people are idolaters. They are idolaters. They can't give except they know there's a blessing attached. And for them, you know, have you heard this before? The greater, the lesser is blessed of the greater. So you can only give to somebody who has a higher anointing on his life so he can bless you in return. Have you heard that doctrine before? It is idolatry. It's not the word of God in practice. It is a twisting of the word of God. Because he that gives to the poor honors his maker. So if God can't bless you, how big you are? How big a head do you have that God can't bless you? How high are you that God cannot bless you? I hope you're getting my point. So he that gives to the poor honors his maker. In everything we do, we are doing them unto the Lord. So please, I've seen people say, okay, so if you want to be blessed, you give to a man of God because he's anointed. Now, twist, it's a twisting of scripture. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. I'm talking about God users and God lovers. Many people are just obeying certain principles because they want to get the results there and they are God users. They don't love God. Those who love, who love God, they just derive pleasure from the fact that what they did pleased God. They refuse to give a bribe and they lose a job and God doesn't give them another job in return. Listen, they go around happy with the fact that God was pleased with that decision. I hope you're getting my point. I was saying earlier, sometimes when we pastors, when we keep on elevating the material results as a way of showing the credibility or the reliability of the word of God, without realizing it, we take the eyes of the people away from what really matters. We don't, we don't teach self-sacrifice anymore. I went to preach somewhere one day, and I was preaching the way I preach now, because that which is the way I preach. I'm not going to change my message because of you. I'm not going to change it. When I finished preaching that brother one day, you know, just at a number of sessions, I think I preached about three sessions or so. At the end of one of the sessions, the brother just asked me that, please, he just wanted to, you know, that people have been, you know, like struggling and striving and all that. Just encourage them that there is a reward. I said, no. Your reward is in heaven. If that is not enough for you, leave it. I'm not going to tell everybody. He wants to just keep on serving God, serving God one day. I won't tell you that. Let me tell you, you can keep serving God, keep serving God, one day you die. Are you aware of that? You think because you are serving God, serving God, God must not make you live to be 120 years. Suppose I you believe in long life. That's not why we are serving God. I believe in long life simply because He promised. 
And in case you don't know, eh? When God likes you so much, say, come and stay with me. Ah, sit down there. You, 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 you think this earth is as fine as heaven. Let me tell you about five things you don't see in heaven. There's no power failure, there's no Boko Haram. You understand? How many does I will give? There's no hunger. There's no missing of any loved one. They are not missing. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. I've given you six now. There's no tears. He has wiped away all the tears. Let me give you an example. Let us assume, just think about it. You have this house. It's your grandfather's house. Alright? He built it with labor, intense labor those days. And then that was the only thing he gave to you. The sitting room, there's no, it has two tiny windows. Oh, it's a mud house. Did I remember to tell you that? It's a mud house, thatched roof. Your father just decided to remove the thatch and put zinc some years ago. And, but that's your inheritance for your grandfather. The, the, the main room that's your own, that you like to stay in the house, is uh, eight feet by eight feet. Now, do you know how small that is? Once you put your bed, it's wall to wall. So when they say, when you tell people, my bed is wall to wall, they think that it's a big bed. No, the room is so tiny. The head of the bed is almost touching the wall, and the foot is almost touching the wall. Not nice room, right? But two small windows. Heat in the afternoon. Hot. Heat at night. Then, was your grandfather's thing that he left for you? Then right next door is this fantastic house that I just dashed to you. The main room is 16, is 20 feet by 20 feet. Fully air-conditioned room. Everything works. Water, cold, hot, everything. Now, let me ask you a question. And I put the two houses there. Are you going to say that this is my grandfather's house? I will stay there for six extra months before I pack to this one. Sweating day and night. No, answer me. Is it a sign for, of love for your grandfather that you stay six months extra in his house before you move into this new one that your friend gave to you? No, answer me, please. Oh. So why do you think God will make you stay longer on the earth if there's no special purpose than coming to heaven that's much finer? It's because you have never seen heaven, so you think this earth, God must repair it for you, then you two must chop life, stay in New York, stay in Paris, visit Melbourne before you go to heaven. Because, you know, you have not seen anything. Are you getting my point? That is why you want to live on the earth forever. Let me just tell you, you will not live here forever. If you like, feel bad, that's your problem. Let me tell you where you are going is far, far now. You know what? I've never been to heaven. I've never personally seen it, but I believe in testimonies, and Jesus demands that we believe testimonies, okay? But all the testimonies I've heard, there's nobody that's ever taken a glimpse that wanted to come back. If I used to be angry with them when I hear their testimony, in my mind, wicked soul, you saw heaven. Mm. Your wife, uncle, she saw hell because you died. You didn't think about that. Your sons saw hell because you died. No, that's what I've been thinking, though. But it's not their fault. You know the truth? They don't remember. Recently, I heard Sadhu say something. He said, there's a water you pass through that wipes away the memory of the earth. That Jesus has to specially grant it to you if he wants to remember something. I look like Jesus is that good. That was what I thought, too. I said, eh? He was explaining it. But at least I, I'm, I'm happy I heard that because I used to be angry with people before because I know if I were to die, I don't care what you want to show me. Just show me my wife crying and my children crying 
and say, Daddy, wake up now. I'll go wake up. Oh. I will say to Jesus Christ, you, I have with me for eternity. Let me go and take care of these ones. But I was told that, no, they don't even allow you to remember. Now, what I'm going to explain, okay, is that those people, when they see a glimpse of glory like this, it's attractive. They say the light pulls you towards itself. The very glory of the light just literally magnetizes you. Now, just let you know that. So, don't don't be impressed with this mahogany and your fine leather shoes and your crocodile skin belt and your fake Brazilian hair. It's not your own. One Indian woman caught it. <laughs> don't think God will let you say, let me enjoy it more. There's no enjoyment in it. It's like that your old grandfather I was talking to you about. It's each moment, no matter how beautiful this moment is on the earth, each moment is endured. Did you hear what I said? You know what Paul said? People that God gave revelation, gave understanding. Paul said something. That we groan. <laughs> you don't understand. He says, not as if we want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed with a new body. You know why? God has helped him understand what that thing is like. So, for every moment he's in this body, he's groaning. It's like, okay, it's like being chained. It's a hindrance. It's a serious hindrance. In fact, one major reason why God leaves you comfortable is that he doesn't let you see. Because if he, like Paul, shows you what the glorified body is like, every day like Paul, you'll be what? Groaning. <clears throat> Philippians. Yeah, the reason why I'm still here for me to live is working for Christ. To die is gain. If I die, I will be with Christ, and that is far better. Say, but because it will be fruitful labor for you if I remain alive, I will stay. That's just a small tangent we took about life, about eternal things. But bear this in mind, we are not serving God and rushing after Him. Because he grants long life. Long life is a promise that he has given. But that promise was given for effective ministry. There's nothing. See, God would not spare one extra day on this earth. Because heaven is much better. Where you are going is much better. So there's nothing like, let me leave him another two years to enjoy the earth. doesn't make sense. I cannot say I've given you this beautiful house I was telling you about. So let me give you one more year to enjoy your, your, your mud old house. You'll be like, for what? What have I explained today? Listen, let us derive satisfaction from one thing. That we please God in everything that we do. He gives to us, but whether he gives or not, is not tied to our pleasing him. Our joy is from making him happy. That's what we derive joy from. It's a sign that we love God. Those are the people that he really has blessed. Those are the people that he prepared his good things for. The people that really love him. The sign of love is that they take pleasure from his pleasure. They can never say to God, after everything I have done for you, what have you given me back? They can never say to him, I have lived my life righteously all these years. What have you given me back? It doesn't ever cross their mind to think such thoughts. Because for them, every moment that God is pleased with them is satisfying. So David says, a day in your courts. Do you get the point? 
So he said, I'd rather dwell, you know, as a, you know, how does it, how do you say again? He's a gatekeeper in that temple of God than to dwell in the courts of iniquity. That is, the man understood that just being with God in itself is satisfying. So Jesus said, my food, my nourishment comes from doing the, the will of him that sent me. That once I know what I'm doing is pleasing God, I'm happy. Unfortunately, we have taught ourselves to make it look like if you serve God enough, it gives you a visa. If you serve God enough, it makes your environment comfortable. If you serve God enough, he makes you rich. No, that is not scripture. There's what is called godliness with contentment. You know what Paul said, and that's what we preach these days. He said many people talk as if godliness is a means of what? Gain. And that's what we do. That's what we preach. Give, you will get. That's godliness because giving is godliness. It's a means of gain. That's what we do. Do this, you will get this. If you pray, if you witness, you've heard this one before, if you witness, when you are going to heaven, you bring two souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not carrying any soul anywhere. I hope you are aware of that. The more the number of people you win for Christ, the bigger your mansion in heaven. Have you heard that one before? I hope you don't believe all those things. Because they are not true. So many people are there witnessing, 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 witnessing. Why? They are increasing the size of their mansion. You know, this earthly mindedness has not left them. How many people have you won to Christ? Fifteen. Your house don't reach like sixth floor. My own city second floor. It's worldliness. <laughs> what is godliness with contentment? Godliness with contentment, he said, is actually great gain. That is, by the time God can bring your, you to a position in life where you are content with a godly act, you have gained a lot. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, I thank God for material blessing. I, I mean, nothing wrong with saying I like God to bless me materially, but one day I had to pray. One day I was reading my scriptures, and Paul said, I have coveted nobody's goods. I said, God, that's what I'm looking for. It's not give me a big house, give me this. No, I want to be able to see like Paul. I'm a preacher. You no know, preachers who can covet people's goods. We are very good at it. You all look at that, your wristwatch. What's the Lord saying to you? Say, you don't hear God? Yeah, we do that. We preach that. One man, although the church people, they have their own problems, so. So all of us get problems. Church gets, pastor gets, everybody all gets, and God will solve all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. But one pastor did one funny thing one day. Although sometimes the church people say, they get as they be. But it's the way the pastor reacted that I'm talking, you know. Being a man of God, we get power. Touch your neighbor. Just touch your neighbor. Okay, did you ask me why? <laughs> That's what they call power. <laughs> did you see where I commanded young and old, male and female? He didn't even ask me to do what? Just touch your neighbor. That is what it means to have power. <laughs> so sometimes you can make people do things. This man, eh? he had a new car. Ah, the other person said, how did they get this car? Then I won't mind where they in church. He came to church, broke, busted, and disgusted. We prayed for him. He got a job, bought the first car, started business, bought the second car. Ah, pastor sees the trick. When he buy the third car, the pastor said, lie, lie, lie. This is not the will of God. So I prophesied it out of him. I said, I am not can prophesy. Before I used to be angry with the pastor, but I don't even know to be angry with. 
I've seen many people, two, three, they will come to church. I, I hear stories now. They go prosper. The pastor will pray for them, teach them the word. Fifteen years later, the pastor is still where he used to be. Bros is flying all over the place. I won't remember the time they used to pray for him. Hey, we can't so live here like that. But that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on, because there are temptations like that. So Paul said, I have coveted nobody's goods. So when I read my Bible, ah, I said, God, you can bless people with abundance like you bless David, like you bless Solomon, like you bless Abraham. But can I ask you for one thing? Give me the grace to talk like Paul, that I have coveted nobody's goods. So I can do my own ministry with, that, with contentment. Paul knew all the He taught us most of these principles. He said, but I've learned how to be the same, independent of circumstance, no matter what is going on. I can bear abundance. I can bear lack in life and his whole, as a whole. And all the circumstances, that I've learned how to remain the same. When I read that, I said, Ooh, God, give, do me a favor. I want to ask you for something. Give me that testimony that I have coveted nobody's goods. Important. Let's bow down our heads. Let's pray so that we'll be lovers of God indeed, not serving God for what we are going to get out of Him. Deriving our pleasure from His pleasure. Deriving our satisfaction from His pleasure. Deriving our satisfaction from the fact that we know that we have pleased Him. Pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Say, Lord, I give you my heart again today. I'm tired of giving for what I want to get. I know you don't like it. I'm tired of serving you. Or I repent right now of serving because I'm looking for something. I know you don't bless such actions. You have blessed me already in Christ Jesus. You have blessed me already in Christ Jesus. Lord, teach me contentment. Teach me patience. Teach me faithfulness. These are important prayer points. Say, Lord, teach me contentment. Teach me faithfulness. And teach me patience. Teach me faith. So anything I want from you, I will ask. Not serving because of what I'm going to get. I know you love me more than I can ever love myself. I know you love me, Lord, more than I can ever love myself. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Even when I did not even know what love was, you already loved me. And that's what Moses was teaching Israel. And what are you asking for, Lord? You're not asking for much. You're not asking for much. He just said to walk faithfully with you, to love you. That's what he's asking for. He said, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. And all of this, he says, for your good. Say, Lord, this is what I will give to you. I want you to open that, open that portion and say, read it for the Lord. Or, or allow me to read it again for you. Say, Lord, this is what I will give to you. Give me the grace to give it to you. To fear the Lord my God and to walk in his ways. To love you, Lord. To serve you with all my heart and with all my soul. To keep your instructions, your commandments, your statutes. Lord, that is what I give to you. To love you with all my heart. Remember, we've defined what love is. Deriving satisfaction from somebody's pleasure. That is what love is. Deriving satisfaction from somebody's pleasure. In life, we'll go through circumstances. Remember, your reaction to each circumstance. 
Oh my God, it's important we, 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 we bear this in mind. The reaction to each issue in life can either please God or make him unhappy. Bear that in mind. Who will have lost the way Job lost? Yeah, when he got on his knees, he said, The Lord give and he has taken. He now said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, well, Are we going to receive good from the hand of the Lord and not receive evil? Now you can be arguing with his revelation or lack of revelation. What you should know is that his reaction pleased God. He said, in all these things, Job did not sin with his mouth. There are those who are in hospital who say, Lord, after I saved you, why should I be sick? After, Lord, after all, I gave you my land. That is what is called murmuring against God. <laughs> oh, my father. That's what is called murmuring against God. That would not be your portion. Say to the Lord, I will never murmur against you. No matter what may come my way, my life is in your hands. Thank you for your promises. But I say it again. My life is in your hands. I'm not serving you for what I'm going to get. I am not serving you for what I'm going to get. You loved me before I began to serve. It is therefore an insult to you to be serving for what I will get. No. You've already blessed me with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I am serving to please you. I am serving to please you. I'm serving to see the joy on your face. I want to hear you say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, let's take time this evening and make these dedications before the Lord. What's my greatest pleasure? One man of God said, are there mansions in heaven? I don't know. He said, but one thing I'm looking forward to is I wonder the Lord will look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, if after that they say, go and sit on that mango tree, we don't have any mansion for you. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm already happy. Why? Because the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's continue to pray and say, Lord, that is my heart desire that you will indeed say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That my desire is to please you not to use you. Not to use you, but to just please you, to save you. You see, it is required, just one thing from a steward that it should be faithful. Help me as a steward to be faithful. I want to be called a faithful servant. Help me. That I will serve you faithfully. That I will serve you with gladness. I will serve you with joy in my heart. Let that be, Lord, my desire to serve you. To serve you. Let's begin to give the Lord thanks for the word that we have heard again this evening. Again, the Lord has brought his word to us and we can only say thank you because we've been blessed. We've been corrected. Let's give the Lord thanks. Say, Lord, we give you thanks for your word, Lord, that you brought to us again. We say thank you. Thank you. He has also impacted grace. Lord, we say thank you for impartation of grace. We bless your name forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. As you go, the Lord go with you. Amen. The Lord keep you. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Amen. The diseases that took all us will not take you. Amen. You're protected by the Lord. And you're going out and you're coming in. Amen. In the name of Jesus. All right, let's share the grace in unison. One, two, three, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of darkness the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is my season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. In the name of Jesus Christ. Give that last two lines to your neighbor. One to your left and one to your right. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. One more person. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. And the last one to yourself. This is my season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. In the name of Jesus Christ. Cheryl, brethren.